0: Thank you. That was beautiful. Father, we just thank you today for your presence here right now. Not only do we know it from a doctrinal standpoint that you're here with us, but we know it experientially in our hearts right now. Father, our God, I just pray that if there's some people in here that needed to be ministered to by those words of the Psalms, maybe today we need to kind of recommit. Lord, I pray that we don't wait until the get of service or we don't wait for some kind of transition to do that. But right now, God, you are our right now God. And right now in this moment, you are here to touch and to heal and to save and to deliver. Maybe we've been captivated in our own minds. And maybe we've been restless, and maybe we've been wandering. And Lord, I just pray that for those people in here that that might be happening to, God, I pray that they would find direction to you. They would find you. God, I thank you that your word declares, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We want to be those, Father, that our whole heart is involved, and that we don't grow indifferent and cold. Thank you for breaking us down, Father. Break us this day, Jesus, as we fall upon the rock. Now it quiet. Let the warmth of, of his spirit take away the coldness and the callousness so that your heart cry would be, as that song declares, take it all, my life is yours. Experientially, and not just mere knowledge. When you know God, you understand that it's completely different than anything else in your life. Um, this morning, I wanted us to talk. We'll wait till everyone is. Uh, it's becoming a freeway system here at Turning Point. <laughs> well, uh, history in the making, uh, part two. Paul had been talking. In and, and Galatians chapter 1, if you wanted to turn to Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 6. Well, we've been experiencing in America, if you don't know, that we've kind of had people that have been revisiting history, or rewriting history, been taking out of context the founders, who the founders were originally, what the founders did, Their concept of faith and God uh, to the point now where we can't even talk about God in the public circle for fear that uh, the half percent of the population out there might be offended. Can I get an amen? Amen. And today we have even in church, and I've told you this, I'm not as concerned with the world and where its program is going as I am with the church and the preaching of the church that's going on to where we get so plural and so humanistic that we don't even understand the essence of the cross and the need of a Savior. See, let me set it up like this before we go into what Paul was talking about. There was Judaizers back then, and these Judaizers were telling people that, yes, the cross was important, Jesus was important, but there was other things that you had to do along with it. One of them, circumcision. See, they didn't like that Paul was coming to the Gentiles, And saying to the people outside of the faith that all they need to do is believe in Christ and His power, accept Him into their life, accept Him into their life and their heart, and their life will be changed forever. You know, this faith thing is pretty simple, isn't it? You don't need to jump through hoops, you don't need to do this thing right or that thing right. When you came to Christ, how many people, when they came to Christ, had their life perfectly put together when He came into their life? Okay, how Was your life a hot mess and you had problems and you had situations, and in your need, you cried out to Christ and He saved you. No, I didn't. didn't, And He saved you. I'm sorry we get excited about this uh, heaven thing. See, Christ didn't come to the well, He came to the sick. And He came. which was lost. And the message of the gospel will never stray away from that. And Paul declared that I preach Christ and Him crucified. We take the cross out. We take doctrinal elements out. We put this in here to make it work for the formula and the culture of the day. Folks, the gospel will never be politically correct. The gospel will never be accepting. The Bible says that this is Jesus talking. Jesus says that when they look at the cross, that they will say it's foolishness. The world doesn't get the cross. And here's the problem. The church is starting not to get the cross. Judaizers did not deny that faith in Jesus was necessary, but insisted that it was inadequate. One must add to faith the observance of the law. Folks, if you have disobeyed one of the laws, you're guilty of them all, correct? Yes. So we can all march in here today, proud as peacocks, thinking I did this and I did that. Folks, it falls and it is burned as ashes before God. We did not get here today by observing the law. We got here today because we said, God, I need you in my life. He came into our hearts and He changed us forever. This is the good news. Let's turn real quick to Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I don't want to say a different gospel, different, different which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to per- pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I say now again, if anybody is preaching you a gospel other than you have accepted Let them be under God's curse. I am not trying to win the approval of human beings or of God. I'm sorry, am I I not trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Folks, this formulaic disposition that Paul gives to the people in Galatians here was not a politically correct servant. He said, there's only one gospel. Turn to really there's only one gospel. So if someone is coming to you and saying that you can get to heaven this way or get to heaven that way, that should start to, you should start scratching your head. Everybody put your finger on your chin like this and go, hmm. We can hear the interactive here today. But that should cause problems for you when you hear the Oprah gospel folks. should cause problems for you doctrinally when you hear all the new age people out there talking about all this feel good stuff and they don't preach Christ but they say we all experience our own little truth there is only one truth this is good news I love a story that I, I read from a 2005 interview by Bono of U2, a journalist Mika Acacias wrote this he had said this, that the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics and physical laws, every action is met by equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to offend all that. As you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies Reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Can I get an amen in the house? I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins on the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend upon my own religiosity. Amen. What is this gospel of grace that is so needed in the church once again? You say, well, that's really sloppy. It's the most sloppiest thing you'll ever have in your life. That a loving Father came down to earth even when we were yet sinners. We were enemies with Christ, the Bible declares. We weren't friends with Him. We all think, well, I'm kind of a good person. Turn someone and say, Yeah, I'm kind of a good person. You will go to hell with that thought. There's going to be a lot of good people in hell. My grace, my experience, and my seeing who Jesus is. is I love picture of the cross because next to Jesus on either side, do you know when Jesus died that death, he died a thief's death. He died a horrible man's death. He died the worst of the worst. When you got crucified, you were the worst of the worst. You were a bum when you got crucified. And you have one side, a thief, who is scoffing and mocking Jesus saying, man, why did you get down? You, yeah, you're God. Yeah, the other thief is defending Jesus. And the other thief, knowing that, hey, we get what's coming to us. We deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. And he said, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? How do you like that sinner's prayer? How do you like that for a prayer? Lord, remember me. And he says, before this day ends, you will be with me in paradise. Folks, if you're looking for a heaven. That's this nirvana experience where you're around there and you go golfing or fishing or you see your little cows. We don't need that. We got that down here on earth. You know what heaven is? It is being with Christ. Amen. That's heaven. If you're looking for your little utopia scenario, sorry, folks, that's not the heaven God built for us. That's right. He built heaven to have fellowship with us, and he's coming again. Can you believe that? We were laying in bed last night, and Kelsey had said, we were, I've read the Bible stories, and I was laying in the bed with Emily, and Kelsey was up on the bunk, and she's like, Dad, Mom says that when everyone is saved, when everyone comes to Christ, they're supposed to come to Christ, he's coming back. He says, and I said, yeah, that's absolutely true, Kelsey. And she said, well, how long do you think till he comes back? I said, well, how long do you back then? And, and Emily's like, well, when I'm like 14. <laughs> you laugh, you can come back tomorrow, you're laughing now, aren't you? I said, Well, I think he's going to come back when I'm 46. She said, How old are you now? <laughs> 19. Christ is coming back for his people. Amen. And he's not coming back as a cute swaddling clothes Jesus, he's coming back as a reigning king. He's not coming back to make little pals and buddies. He's going to make his enemies his footstool. And the nations of the world will bow down to him. The only name under heaven which every knee shall bow. Yeah. And every tongue confess. I hope you're not depending upon your own religiosity this morning. I hope you're not depending upon do two goods to conquer the one bad. You don't have there is not enough time in the day to mess with all your bads. Because here's how your brain works: on the outside, all the workings are really nice, aren't they? They're all put together. But who knows the heart of man? And who knows what's going on up in that noggin? First of all, I say, what's going on up there? <laughs> See, that's what God is after. We can all put the perfume on. We can all take the shower. But if if our heart is desperately wicked, it's desperately wicked. Paul said this. He said, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself. Folks, here's the thing. When you came to Christ, you didn't come to Christ because you thought it was a good idea. You came to Christ because he knocked on the door of your heart and said, you need me. He sought those who were lost who didn't know they needed to be found in the first place. We were flying in touch and fins. Galatians 1, 6, he says, I'm, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. Who called you to himself? The word there in the Greek call means this. Kaleo. The word is used to invite or to summon. It is especially used of God's call to participate in the blessings of the kingdom. See, I've said this before, but grace is this. It's unmerited favor. You might sit here today and look at people around you, or your family, room and say, "Those people, they don't deserve it. Oh, they get the blessing of the kingdoms because God did it for them. It had nothing to do with them." Mm-hmm. You know, you look at people around you and wondering if they're called and all this kind of stuff. It's amazing to me how the call of God works out and how God calls you. I was talking to one of the guys that works for me, and his mom just passed away. And he said, "Steve, pray for me because I got to do the funeral." And I said, "That's the best place to be." Funerals are a captive audience. You have people that will never show up in a church building that come there and you get to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Because everyone knows in that building at that moment of the funeral that everyone's guaranteed, I heard one guy say uh, uh, death is a 100% uh, success rate. Everyone's going to die. And the number one fear of everyone is the fear of death. Not spiders, fine, (laughs) not snakes, but the fear of death. When you're called, grace being that unmerited favor, you didn't deserve it, you get to participate in the blessings of the kingdom. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 9, let's see how Paul sums up this faith experiment. did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law and the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. He's saying, listen, no matter how much they go after the law, they still can't get to the goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Who's the stumbling stone in that verse? Jesus. Jesus got in the way. He said, no matter what you do, you will never be good enough. You need me as your advocate. You need me to stand in the gap for you, to cover all the mess up. They stumbled the stone as it is written. I see, I lay and die in a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Jesus upended the whole religious system, the whole order of the day. Jesus comes, and guess what he starts doing? He starts healing the sick. But it's not just him healing the sick. Guess what he does? He heals the sick on the Sabbath. Jesus goes through, and his disciples haven't properly washed their hands. And Jesus hasn't properly washed his hands. And the Pharisees have problems with this. You say, well, we don't have those problems today. We have plenty of those types of problems today where everybody's cotton picking, nitpicking, everyone else next to them. "nit picker! nitpicker. Amen. Stop worrying about the person next to you trying to wash their hands. Work out your own salvation with fear and tribulary. Amen. Keep your nose in your own affairs. You're busy looking at the little twig in their eye, and you've got a log sticking out of your forehead. We stumble over the stumbling block. Jesus Christ, are you one of those people right now that is stumbling in your own way to get right with God, trying to jump through this way or pray that way? Folks, it is extremely tiring. We've all been in the religious rat race. We've all been the little jerk in the wheel. How many have felt that way in your life? You just... Try to do one more thing and this and just... You don't never feel good enough, do you, about yourself? What I'm telling you you can feel good enough to be hidden in Christ and realize that the sin that you've committed yesterday, Jesus forgave them. Guess what? The sins you've committed on your way to church day, calling out your wife like you did, He'll forgive that too. But we don't do that at church, do we? How about tomorrow's sins? Do you think there's enough blood? Be careful of the different Gospels that we start to adopt and we start to adapt. Jesus addresses it. Let's read in Matthew 23, the most provocative verses when it came to religion. Jesus got fed up because he realized that these Pharisees had created a culture that they could never quite get to. I just need to fast a little more, faster. I got to fast more. I think I can get out, get the breakthrough. Mm-hmm. I think I got to pray more. I got to pray five more hours. Are we getting more out yet? Getting tired yet? Mm-hmm. And as you're doing that, you start to lose all the energy and the understanding of how you first. How did you first come to God in the first place? Was it because of your prayer and fasting? Did you come to Christ in a prayer and fasting better, or did he meet you in a bar somewhere? Or did he meet you when you're overdosed on something or in your middle? Just jump. Where did he meet you? Verse 5. for people to see. They make their farcelites wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets, the most important seat in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not called, you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all like brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father. He is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have only one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be servant. for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor you will let any of those trying to enter too. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea and win a single convert, and when you have succeed, it, you make them twice as the much child in hell, as you are. Well, you blind guys, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by oath You blind fools, which is greater the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by an altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by a gift on the altar is bound by the oath. You blind men, which is greater? The gift on the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar, swears by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple, swears by everything and anyone who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven, swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law of the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. Don't talk about tithing folks. Don't do that. Mint and dill and cumin. And you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guy, you strain out on a map, but swallow a camel. Woe you, teacher of the law and Pharisee, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup of the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Shall I continue... Woe do you teach of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones with the dead and everything unclean. And in the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe do you teach of the law and Pharisee, you hypocrites? You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shed the shedding of blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murder the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brutal vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, and whom you've murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I've longed to gather your chickens, children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not really. Look, your house is left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Wow. That's Sunday service right there. <laughs> His contention wasn't with the world. It was with the church that was being built upon a totally different foundation. And we can all the right and the problem is we always move the marker, don't we, down the road. And when is it that we get complete? Folks, the only place where our steep lap's going to be complete is when I enter through heaven's gates and see Jesus Christ. That's the only place I'll be complete. Sky Shotani writes, Jesus broke out against the leaders. He made two primary charges against them. First, they tie up any burdens, hard to bear. And they laid them on people's shoulders. The life under God here put this emphasis on appeasing God's behaviors, either in the form of rituals or morality. The list of requirements religious followers were expected to obey in ancient Israel were referred to as a yoke. In contrast with the heavy burden other teachers placed on people's shoulders, Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll be. He goes on to write this: Although one's behaviors might conform to expectations, inside you still may be consumed by hatred, greed, pride, lust, and deceit. Folks, we can be a bunch of people here today that are good-behaving Christians. Church someone and "Are you a good-behaving Christian?" We need good-behaving Christians here today, and your heart will be full of lust and pride arrogance. How quickly we snap into another place where we kind of polish our own little armor. There's only one gospel. One thing I want to tell you, we kind of touched on this in the beginning. Folks, universalism is wrong. There are not many roads to heaven, but only one road. And let that cement in your head as the church at large, and I'm talking about the church at large, starts to become this kind of happy cupcake place where there is no recognition of sin and that we all just kind of sit around there. My friend growing up went to a Unitarian Universalist church and I asked him kind of what they do. They just feature a religion each different week. So I guess they just all kind of sit there and have a different God or a different idol that they focus on. We got the Buddha idol and the Islam idol and this over here, the Scientology thing. darling knows. We got all these things, and the problem is, for the church, is the people. Even right now, probably are getting a little upset with me saying that here. That's how far we get, and it all started in the garden. And you know what the thing with the garden was? This guys just on your own. This the original rebellion of humanity in Eden was the attempt to cut that out of the picture and take control for ourselves. That's what we want, don't we? That's how when we establish our idols and do everything that we do, because in the, the original sin, Adam and Eve. Oh, by the way, if you don't believe there is an Adam and Eve, the original sin is a huge part of the gospel doctrine. So if you cut Adam and Eve out of the equation, you have to cut original sin out. Sorry, folks. So, there was a real Eve. Jesus had to deal with what happened. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first prophecy given in Scripture regarding the cross of Christ, stating that I will have enmity between her and the serpent, and you will bruise my heel, but I will crush your head. Original sin in that moment was this. Eve offers a suggestion that was suggested to her, isn't it funny how we always deal with the power of suggestion? Don't think for a moment when you have suggestive thoughts that they won't creep in and start dealing with your heart. If you're dealing with other Gospels in your life right now, and you think by somehow doing this or doing that you can get to heaven, folks, we need Jesus Christ in our life. So here we got Eve being suggested. She grabbed the fruit. This is Tanette's apple here. Tanette, where it's not even an apple. It could have been a pomegranate. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, she grabs it. She says, Adam, come try this stuff out. And it was at that moment where we created and formed our own sense of religion. What happens when God starts calling them? They realize that they were naked. What do they start doing? They start making for themselves clothes and they start covering themselves up. They make for themselves a covering. And that's what we do when we try to control and to take care of the problems in our life. We try to fix them. Back with Havel. And by the way, our culture right now is trying to destroy all of our traditions, all of our history, and rewriting it to the point now where we can't have the Ten Commandments. Heaven forbid we say, thou shalt not kill in our courthouse. That would be really suggestive. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't we figured out that, like, socialism and communism haven't worked? Have we figured out the experience of men and whole leaders that have decided to take God out of the equation? Have we figured out that those cultures are not really good situations to be in? Vaclav Havel, well, the former president of the Czech Republic, was in prison for resisting the communists in the 70s and 80s. When he was released and elected president, Havel surprised many by being noticeably forgiving towards his political enemies. Havel said evil is not an externally constructed force or the product of religious doctrine. Evil runs through each human heart. Original sin. Some of the most oppressive regimes of the 20th century were constructed on the philosophical foundations of secular atheism. Stalin's Soviet Union killed some 20 million Mao's cultural revolution in China resulted in 65 million deaths. The oppression continues in North Korea where at least 2 million people have been killed. Godless societies that have taken God out of the public square. Man is always trying to reach new heights without God. Or we make a God that we like the Oprah God, the New Age thinkers of the day. Sky Chathani wrote this, we tend to project our identity onto God. We assign in our personalities, our values, and our biases. We start to create a God that fits into our mold. That's what we do. We don't like certain parts of Scripture, doctrinally, part of the gospel, original sin, you mean we all fall of the glory of God? No, I, New Age thinking is teaching me I am a good person. today. I don't know about you, but evil is being done in the daytime. Forget nighttime now. It's in the daytime. Yes. We're not getting better as a society. And just do some stat and fact check. Look at what happened the moment that we took prayer out of schools. And we get diabolically and we go south. Look at what we do with babies and unborn children. All the name of women's rights. The religion of our today and the religion of churches is a church and a style that's convenient for us, that fits into our mold. Christian Smith, a sociologist from the University of North Carolina, he did a study on the religious views of teenagers. You guys ready for this one? He came to this conclusion that most view God as a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. God exists to help them through their problems and achieve what they desire. Some people might point in that one. Smith said that those holding this view of God are primarily concerned with one's own happiness, in contrast to focusing on glorifying God, learning obedience, and serving others. Smith said the reason teenagers have this view is because you ready for this drum roll? On this drum roll! Their parents have this view. A cosmic butler! Folks, this isn't the Jesus that you and I serve. You know, this gospel, what it will cause you to do? You didn't need to, in the New Testament church in that first century, God didn't have to force them out and say, no, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Folks, it was seeping out of them. They were filled with joy. They didn't have to be somehow their arm twisted to say, man, go tell someone about Jesus Go, go be involved in people's lives. Go go, serve. Go love. They didn't have to have their arms twisted. They didn't have to have a keychain to remind them of something. Galatians 1.7 said, You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Don't allow anyone to twist the truth of Jesus to fit into their politically correct or humanistic view, folks. I'm not talking about, it. listen, be friends with people. Don't don't mistake my passion, my yelling, and my zeal for a lack of love for a lost, dying world. But don't think for a moment because someone has an opposing view to you that you're just supposed to say, Oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah, I better be quiet. I better not talk about this because I might offend someone. Has anybody ever not offended someone in here today? I mean, nowadays you offend someone by just breathing. Don't allow anyone to twist the truth of what Jesus did. And why he came. And the whole reason he came was to make us feel good, it was to deal directly with sin in our lives. Number three, this is who I'm trying to impress. Paul ends with an amazing statement. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Folks, the church, what the church is trying to do right now is trying to win the approval of people. That's what we're trying to do. We're placating, we're, we're just, we become indifferent to doctrinal things. By the way, if you want to know some doctrine, and it's important to know doctrine, you can't say today, hey, I just love Jesus. Because just like Paul said in the Galatians, the Judaizers were doing, there's other gospels out there that will give you a little bit of Jesus just enough to make you feel good, but then there's no foundation there. And there's nothing built upon that. Open our website up. Look at the doctrines page and say why we believe and what we believe. Don't allow anyone to twist the truth of Jesus to fit into their politically correct or humanistic view. Paul is with that amazing statement. I'll say it again. I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. Man, is he slanting in this chapter. <laughs> Only one gospel. Man having a curse on their lives if they preach a different gospel. He is... Definitely not going to be speaking at the White House anytime soon. <laughs> if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I'll never forget, I was in a board meeting. I shared this. I was a little young and naive enough to think that the board members should all be Christians. Can you imagine that? And not just bankers. Oh. so I looked into the board and we were in a meeting and I said does anybody know really quick and I'm just trying to get to know the people that are surrounding me as leaders does anybody know if this so and so person is a believer no I don't know it's a good businessman well, business doesn't build churches it'll build buildings that's all you're looking for but it will not produce devoted followers of Jesus Christ if we want stained glass in a new building, let's go talk to him. But if we want a church, we need to go after scripture. We can't please man. We have to please God. St. Anthony of Egypt said this, the time is coming when men will go mad. And when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him saying, you are bad. you are not like us. See, our world's going bad. And they're suggesting to the church that you have to doctrinally change this. And you have to move this. You have to constantly be moving this. Folks, you are considered a fool in the world standards to believe every dot and tittle of this Bible. You're a fool. If you can just move a little of these things and not talk about this and not move here and folks, what the church is trying to do to find space is they're compromising areas and they're looking over here socially. Whatever it is, that we start to kind of jump because we don't want people to reject us. You and I make a difference in the world by we live. By living for God and not appeasing men. Oz Guinness wrote, "The ultimate factor in the church's engagement with society is the church's engagement with God." Folks, our engagement with God is of crucial right now. When we need to be the light in the darkness, our light should be shining bright, and it should be a wake-up call for us. I did a really stupid thing. I woke up really fast yesterday at home. We were cleaning the walls. We wanted to start painting i talked to Keith, the painter. Hey, everyone know Keith. I love Keith over at Home Depot. Talk to Keith when you say this. Say Keith sent me to you. <laughs> Keith, uh, tell me get some ammonia. One part ammonia, three parts water. It says lemon scented. Now i i don't know why I do this, but I smell everything. <laughs> like I get a new Bible, and the first thing I do I open. I go, oh, I, smell. I like new books. I like new books. It's like why you smell I do the attic. I smell things. <laughs> So I get down there, I pour the couple of oil, I don't use ammonia, she said it takes everything off. One part, whatever, and I go, ah, lemon scent, it's gonna smell like lemon, I go, and it woke me up. It was like fire in my nostrils. I sat back, I was on my knees, I go, oh! And Hunter, he's always protecting me, he goes, Dad, Dad, you okay? I go, yeah. <laughs> why do I smell the ammonia? I got to smell stuff like, go get some patience and eat them I <laughs> am in the back of it fumes well ventilated do not inhale I'm like don't use ammonia for smelling
1: <laughs>
0: folks let me tell you something like this when we understand it when we get close in contact with God and we start to smell, our own sin, and we understand how it is awakening and debilitating, and it drives us to Christ as we wake up to the understanding of our need for Him. What are you doing or saying right now? Are you trying to please people, or are you trying to please God? Folks, let me tell you something. I am not asking you to be the sin police today, okay? If you see something going on at work that's wrong, leave it alone, Okay? Say, wait, are you a world view turning? No. What I'm just saying is, live within the context of it. If someone asks you a question or you're about something, be open to share. But nobody made you the resident counselor of the place, or your home for that. Don't be rude, but you need to start displaying honesty in your own life, and don't be a hypocrite like the Pharisees did—say one thing, do another. That's really hardest it's important for our kind of marriage a lifestyle with what we preach. Because if our lifestyle is not matching with our doctrine, we've got real problems. Don't be rude, though. It would be easy for me to preach cupcakes and flowers today, folks, but that wouldn't do anything for us. And if Paul didn't preach cupcakes and flowers, then Steve Lapp's not going to preach cupcakes and flowers. If Jesus preached repentance, by the way, that was his first sermon, was repentance, then by golly, I've got to be like Jesus, I've got to be like Paul, I have to be like John the Baptist I have to be like those kinds of people that are saying prepare the way and to repent for the kingdom of God's name by the way when he said to repent for those people it wasn't just seekers it was religious folks that he was talking to let's close our eyes for a moment In regards to people and pleasing men, Charles Spurgeon wrote this, He who marries today's fashions is tomorrow's widow. And today there's a lot of cultural fashions out there, and they're not lining up with the Word of God. Socially, there's cultural fashions going on that are not being dictated by the Word of God. And today you need to look into your own life and your own heart and say, God, have i been aligning myself with another gospel, have I created Jesus that fits within the context of my life and the things that I don't want to change and I think that I'm going to stick with? Or am I falling onto that stumbling block which is Jesus Christ? Folks, I'm telling you today, allow yourself to stumble on Jesus Christ. And when you stumble upon Him, your life will be changed forever. Some of you weren't looking for Jesus, and maybe today you were looking for more good religion, more good church, more good teaching on this or that. And maybe today you find Jesus. Today is not about three tips to fix this. I will never preach the gospel that way, or the Bible that way. The Bible is not filled with tips and little cute trips. It's filled with pages experientially with Jesus Christ. Today, if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't know Him. Or maybe you had a form of Him, but you definitely don't know Him. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another day. Don't wait till well, you can figure this out or figure that out. You'll never figure it all out. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one true gospel, the good news, Of Jesus Christ, why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you today. Anyone? Today, maybe you started doing things, routines, rhythms. I'm not saying that to poo poo on traditions and habits. I'm not telling you today that praying is a law thing. What I'm just saying is you've grinded so much, you're grounded by guilt, not by joy. And today you need to relieve some guilt and just lean on God because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. And you as a believer today, you're kind of straying into that mode. And you want to reconnect with that principle, that saving knowledge of grace. And relax in Jesus because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Today, Christian, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray a blessing over your life. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. There's freedom. Thank you. Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, dear dear Jesus, you, Lord, I thank you. I and thank you that you offered me freedom. Do that God you offered me freedom and joy. And joy. Enjoy. I come to you today, and, and I hand all the junk off. All my, works, all my works. All my trying. All my and I relax in you. And I relax. Heaven, forbid I relax and heaven forbid I relax. And enjoy your grace. And enjoy your grace. Today I declare over my life. Everything I've done right. Everything I've done, right. Everything, I've done wrong, everything I've done wrong. That whomever the sun sets free. That is free indeed. free indeed. I take that promise today. Because I'm grinding and trying. And I give it all I give it all to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Perfect song, Sandra. Right? Let's pray. Just uh, just thank the Lord for this day. Isn't it really good just to uh, let go? Hard because we lose control. But as we let go and we're caught by the arms of Christ. It's a powerful thing. Father, I pray a blessing to the Lord, all the families here today. And God, I thank you for your works and what you're doing. And you did all the work as you declared on the cross your last statement. It is finished. Lord, it is finished, the completed work of Christ. We don't have to add to, we don't have to take away from, we don't have to adapt it. We don't have to add this that you might have forgotten. You remember it all. Thank you for winning on the cross. And because of that, We now have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you folks very, very much. Don't forget then Tuesday, the last Bible study. And ladies, if you're wanting to go to that, we would love to have you come. And it's the sign-ups out there uh, in the cafe. Have a great, great week. God bless you.